Sharing the gospel with Hindus can be daunting. What's the key to building gospel relationships with Hindus? One thing that was critical for me was the relationships, the genuine relationships that believers had with me. I could sense their their genuine love and care and compassion for me as a person. I wasn't a project. They loved me genuinely right where I was. Hindu, addiction, with all this junk around me, they loved me exactly where I was. Even if I decided, had decided and I made a choice to stay a Hindu, I felt like they would continue to love me just the way I was. A powerful story of life change today on the show. But first, an important message. If you're a regular listener to this show, we wanted to say thank you. Without the Lord's help and without you, we wouldn't still be doing this. But we also want you to know that this show wouldn't exist if it weren't for ABWE International and ABWE missionaries like Justin, who's a missionary in a Muslim country in Asia. So let me tell you about him. One day, he was wandering a crowded street doing street evangelism. He'd been doing it every morning for nine months with no results. He was discouraged. He sat down at an outdoor coffee shop. Local men crowded the table, fraternizing before the start of the workday. Justin tried to start a spiritual conversation with the Muslim man seated next to him, and the man, disinterested, walked off. But before Justin could even process the rejection, he heard a voice speaking to him in broken English. The voice said, You said sins forgiven. How? It was another Muslim man who had been sitting next to him who was listening silently the whole time. Justin, knowing the dangers of doing evangelism openly in this country, started to whisper to him about Jesus. They crept closer and closer until they were inches apart. They were looking around for danger the whole time. Justin whispered the gospel into this man's ear. And the man grabbed him by the shoulders, pushed him back and said, many of us want to know this message, but we're not allowed to ask. That's what life is like in a country where evangelism is illegal. And more than 130 ABWE workers like Justin are serving in places like this. Every gift to ABWE's Global Gospel Fund goes to critical staffing, support, training, and services to advance the gospels of the lost and unreached through faithful workers like Justin. So learn more and become a partner with ABWE at abwe.org partner. That's abwe.org partner. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications for ABWE International, joined in the flesh, yes. might I add, by Scott Dunford, who, let's simplify your title. You work for ABWE and you're a pastor of a church. That's right. Just do I, that. I like that much better. All right. He works for ABWE and he's the pastor of the church. And how was your flight in? Uh, it was long. And uh, <laughs> and you're how jet lagged right now on a scale of one to ten? I I don't know if it's jet lag or just the fact that I did I got up at three in the morning and didn't go to bed till midnight here. So yeah, I'm tired. So finally, tired. finally, we're able to text each other at the time that I'm typically texting it, you, which is like four a.m. anyway. And I don't have to do math every time you say at what time we're one o'clock, and I'm like, well, that's <laughs> ten o'clock my time. And half yeah. of the time that I text you at like four a.m., you're like having a late night at one a.m. your time on the West Coast, and you haven't even gone to bed yet. Well, it's, I'm old enough now that I don't have late nights anymore. I just have early mornings, so that kind yep. of jives a little bit. That's better. right. It jives. Very good. It jives. <laughs> it does, yes. Uh, it's good to see you, old friend. And by the way, uh, we have a little bit of announcement of something coming up in June. We're doing something in Minneapolis, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to be at the Radius Missions Conference in Minneapolis, and uh, I think we'll have some fun things uh, planned. We're still working on some of those details of some of the interviews We'll have some exclusives we'll be able to bring, but I'm uh, really looking forward to it. We'll, and we'll be doing a live show live show uh, from the main stage. So yeah. it's kind of going to be a, a fun time. Yeah. Our friend Lisa LaGeorge, she just tweeted at us and said, hey, you guys should do a reunion show and tweeted back kind of, you know, kind of coy, like, oh, as a matter of fact, you know, dot, 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 winking emoji. There we go. Uh, so we're really excited for that. More details, including we're giving away two tickets. I don't know if you knew that, but we're I giving away two tickets. So. More details to follow on that as the show progresses. But we have another guest here in the studio with us today. And Scott, maybe you want to explain what brought you to ABWE's headquarters in person and then how that relates to our esteemed guest here. So I met our guest, uh, Velu Kederville. I'll let him say it in the beautiful uh, <laughs> Velu Tamil, Tamil language in it here in a second. But we met a couple years ago. Doug brought me down to Austin, Texas. 
And, uh, and I was beginning to think more deeply about how I could be more effective in reaching Hindu people. I started my, my doctoral work on that, that topic. And, um, Velu is a believer in, in Austin with an incredible story of coming to faith in Christ. Um, uh, and, uh, so we're in town today working on the latest heart, mind, and soul, uh, project for every ethne on how to reach your Hindu neighbor and build those relationships. So we're in the flesh working on that together. And, uh, I, w- he was willing to come down and join us and tell us a little bit about his story. So Velu, welcome. Thank it's really you. really good to have Thank you. you. Glad to be here. And it's Velu Kadirvale. Kadirvale is how yes. I pronounce it. Say in it in the Tamil way. Okay. And we like so it. you want my full name. <laughs> yes, we do. Vail Murugan Kadirvail. Beautiful. That's, that's so for name. our friends listening from Cedarville University, he's not just mispronouncing Cedarville University. That's not what's happening here, just to get it on the record. Okay. <laughs> so it's a blessing to have have Velu and actually his wife Vicky is here as well. Uh, she's a she's a couple generation Austinian. Um, and uh, but but you have a unique story in that you came from India, came here to work in the tech world, um, and uh, and and that process came to Christ out of Hinduism. And so we want to just let you kind of tell us a little bit in your own words. But first, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what it was like uh, in your part of India. Anything you can share with us about the uniqueness of India? We tend to think of it as one, you know, landmass. But the truth is there's thousands of people groups and languages and even Hinduism itself is complex. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in India and uh, what led you to come to the United States. Okay. Well, I was I was uh, born in 1967, so 20 years after uh, India had won independence, had, mm-hmm. had become independent from the British. And uh, so August, in fact, I was born August 15th, 1967, wow. which is the Indian Independence Day, or okay. 20 years after. So about the same day, yeah. the same day. Um, I grew up in Chennai, India. And uh, so I was, uh, went to high school, went, did all my schooling there. And um, also... For about five years, my dad came to the U.S. to get his Ph.D. at UC Davis. So when I was born, I was here from uh, um, when I was one year old to about six years old or five years old. And then I went, we went back. And uh, that's so, why you don't have much of an accent. Well, the accent <laughs> will come back. It's very it's funny how the accent will come back. If you put me around a group of Indians, yeah. it will switch right back. You sound like and, a Californian. And it will switch back and <laughs> forth. And it's bizarre how it switches back and forth. Beautiful. So um, came from a, it's a big city. Came from Chennai, and uh, uh, at that time it was about seven eight million people. Even at that time, back in uh, you know eighty nine ninety not eighty nine is when I left India. Mm-hmm. Uh, came to the U.S. to go to grad school, and went to Texas A and M, um, and uh, did my masters over there in double in electrical engineering. Um, I got got my bachelor's in India. So I came here for my master's. And growing up, I mean, it's a Chennai is a big is a big place. Um, grew, very loving, friendly people. Um, I had a I had a very I was blessed to have a, uh, a good childhood in the sense that my my parents um, put me. I mean, they went through a lot of sacrifices to put me through a good school. I went to a uh, Catholic school, hmm. and uh, you know that that's uh, not inexpensive. And my dad always, uh, even when he uh, got me, at, when uh, we went to get admitted to the school, he told the principal there, you know, what I, I can only give my son, what I can give is a good education. And that's why I want him to go here. And uh, I don't have money to give. I don't have those kinds of things to give. But I have, I want to give him an education. So he was, um, they worked, they they worked hard to uh, give me a good education and um, grew up. Believing in God, my family, we didn't uh, exactly grow up um, learning various traditions and uh, formal, didn't have a formal training in Hinduism, but I grew up believing in God and knowing that there was a God, and, but also being taught that, that all religions, um, you know, there were just different paths to the same God. But I had a good group of, good group of friends uh, we, we played every, you know, just, uh, played every evening, played cricket, played badminton, played ping pong or table tennis. Um, just, um, I was blessed to have a good, uh, childhood from that perspective. Yes. So I just want to ask a question because you said, you know, you grew up believing in God and, you know, a lot of times when we think about Hinduism, we think of like just there's millions of gods, you right. know, depending on what, who, who you're talking to. 
Did you think of God in a way that was similar to the God of the Bible, or did you tend to think of God as more general, or did you think of many, many gods? How, how did, can you, if you can remember back to that time, like how was your perception of God different than what it eventually became? Um, I think I looked at um, the different gods as being representations of the same, of the same God. Uh-huh. Hmm. All um, of them. You're right. Mm. As uh, being, there's there's one God, but these are just different facets, right, of that same God. Okay. So, um, but I did, you know, looking at if I, Christianity or Hinduism or Islam, um, all those all those different religions, what I was taught to believe was that they're all different paths to the same God. Ultimately, it's all one the same destination, but they're just different paths the same God. Do, do Hindu parents, like even devout Hindu parents, do they like systematically teach their kids like the Vedas or the Gita, or is it more of just like, Hey, come with us as we go to temple and watch what we do and just maintain those traditions. Right. I, I would never went through any formal training and that was not uh, how the normal that, that I saw around yeah. me. That mm. wasn't the normal way of upbringing. Yeah. So in fact, as I was seeking uh, when I, um, you know, I'm, I know we're jumping forward a right. little bit, but, one of the things that I had to do or that I felt like I was I needed to do was to actually find out more about Hinduism and learn about Hinduism before I could actually make a uh, valid comparison um, with Christianity. Right. So I didn't feel like it would be right for me to um, make a decision, a very critical decision like that, without knowing more about Hinduism. So, uh, so I had to kind of catch up in a way, let's say, I, yeah. because I we didn't have that. I didn't have that formal background training. So I had to, um, do my own reading and asking questions of other, uh, Hindus, Hindu yeah. friends that I knew to f- learn more about it. So, so let's jump back to your story. Thanks for that little interruption. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> We're very curious here. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, in fact, at some point I'm thinking about making a montage of all the times that you say, I'm curious when you're asking a question. Yeah. I, it, I am curious. It happens about 10 times per episode, actually. <laughs> I, I think that, I, I want to say that makes it more interesting. I, I think, think other so. people are curious too. That's right. But, <laughs> curious George, curious so Scott. I, I was curious. You satisfied it. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, go ahead and what was the uh, so original? You, okay. Yeah. So you, you were talking about growing up, going to temple, right. you, you kind of, you know, with your thinking about God, right. but, but, right. but kind of starting to act yeah. on that. So, yeah. So we would go once, we'd go at least once a week to the temple, mm. uh, maybe more than that. All the, all the, um, festivals and everything. There were a lot of them throughout the year and, uh, worshiping different, different gods. Um, they were all, uh, again, they, we would go to the temple for those. So there were often their visits, either, um, prayers at home, or there were like festivals celebrating with family mm-hmm. at home, or you'd go to the temple. So I, I remember going to the temple pretty often, like once a week at least, mm. and maybe, uh, maybe once middle of the week. And then mm-hmm. on the weekend. And um, so I, pretty often going, yeah. growing up. I, I got a question for you. How, how focused were you on maybe things that we would look at it as Christians and think of those as cosmic things, right? E- eternal things. Like how much of it for you was following a religion and a system of traditions that had to do with where am I ultimately going to go or where is the ultimate meaning in my life? Or was it much more almost folk in the sense of, hey, I'm just focused on my immediate needs in the here and now. And maybe, you know, this pinch of incense or, you know, praying this prayer to, to this deity is going to get me through my, you know, exam tomorrow. Those mm-hmm. sorts of mm-hmm. things. I think from that perspective, what I was brought up to believe, what I was brought up to uh, think and believe was that the most important thing, the important things were that I needed to um, do good, mm-hmm. right? um, get, gain good, gain knowledge, study hard do the best that I can to bring glory and honor to the family, um, raise a good family, be, uh, it was all about um, good works and mm. being good and doing good and uh, bringing fam- uh, the family honor. Um, so that's sort of the, the mindset that I had, but I don't think I really cognizantly thought about the um, ramifications of any of the times when I did not do mm. what was right and what was good. Right. At that particular time, as I was growing up, right. There was, or whether if I went to the temple, whether I, um, the ramification of maybe gaining, um, getting closer 
to God or getting closer to ending that cycle of life and life and death. Yeah. Right. Uh, of uh, the cycle of reincarnation. So I don't think I, that was on my mind when I went, it was mm-hmm. more of something you did. And, uh, and I felt good when I came out of the temple mm-hmm. and I prayed, I felt good, but that didn't necessarily always last, last long. So, so what was that transition then coming to the United States? So you went to high school, Catholic school, start, you were, you're already thinking somewhat about eternal things, mm-hmm. but t- fill us in. Okay. Um, so, you know, I grew up in India. I always had a cheery exterior, you know, uh, people always thought I was very happy and, and I, w- I guess in a way I was, but, um, there was also an emptiness behind and there was, uh, there was some pain because I was always, it was always a performance driven, uh, like anything I did wasn't good enough sort of thing. There was always, it was never good enough and I wasn't doing well enough sort of thing, even though I was from a, from let's say academic perspective, even if I was doing well, I just felt like overall, um, it was not good enough, Mm -hmm. but I never knew what, never knew how good is good enough. And that was one of the struggles Mm -hmm. that I was having. Um, so as I was, uh, because of that, and, uh, there was also an issue with not feeling, um, because of that, because of the performance issues, there was also about a, uh, a feeling of lack of self-esteem, emptiness, um, pain and grief and sorrow because you weren't able to meet, felt like you weren't able to meet expectations Yeah, and, uh, and that you'll never be able, that I'd never be able to meet expectations. Right. Right. So, you know, that's the, and, but I did well enough to graduate uh, from high school, did well, okay, did my, went to college, got my undergraduate in, uh, under, undergraduate degree in electrical engineering or electronics and communication. And then I came here to the U.S. to get my master's. Um, now, as I was, uh, all these performance-related things, and, you know, you, you get, to, get to a stage where, or you're growing, as you're growing up, you want to, the pain causes you to want to mask it. And as I was growing up, there was a dark side to the, to the whole thing where mm-hmm. um, some destructive behavior patterns had crept in and I could not stop those. And I knew those were wrong. I just had a, a inner sense that those were wrong and I shouldn't be doing them, but I couldn't stop. Them. There wasn't like a Hindu teaching or, you know, like, oh, I'm breaking Dharmic law here. It, it was more subjective and internal that you felt that those this things were more, wrong. This was more internal. This was just, um, deep inside. I, I felt like it was, I knew it was wrong. I mean, yeah. I didn't know the formal, any formal, um, I didn't have formal training, so I couldn't point to anything, but I just was, a, it was a conviction, you know, later on you look at things and there was a conviction in my heart that this was wrong. And, uh, because it was also causing me to be feel trapped and I was in the cycle and I could never seem to get away from it and mm. uh, always kept going back to it to feel better. And so it was basically an addictive pattern of behavior that mm. was going on. And uh, any amount of, you know, I would go to the Hindu temple and pray in various Hindu temples and I would pray and I'd feel good for maybe a few hours or a few days. And I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay now. Mm. But then I'd go back to it again. And uh, the sense of pain would come back and I'd have to mask it. So I just, that's how I, um, that's how I worked through those. Right. And then, um, so I came to the, after that, and that, so that was going on in the background, all that was happening. And then I came to the U.S. to get my master's in double E. Um, but the destructive behavior patterns never left. Mm-hmm. Right. So those just, that just kept with me. It only got worse. When you come to the U.S., um, in India, you have a lot of with family around, with friends around, and everybody knows you. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there's less places you can go and hide. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're in the United States of America <laughs> and. Very private. If it's, yes. And it's very, um, everything's available to you. Um, and uh, it was, my, my destructive behaviors only got worse. And the addiction only got worse. So at the same time I was going through my master's and studying and doing well, that side of me just continued to get worse. Mm. And uh, again, any amount of going to the temple, Hindu temples, did not there were Hindu temples in Houston, there was in San Antonio, but they just didn't make a difference. Mm. 
But I also started going across the street to uh, Park Hills Baptist Church. I lived, my apartment complex was right across the street from Park Hills Baptist Church in Austin. Uh, and that's after, so after I graduated, I went to Austin. My first job was in Austin, Texas. And um, um, I would go to Park Hills Baptist Church every Sunday morning. How, did you get invited or did you on no, your own decide to seek to and me, find out? To me, because um, all places of worship were the same. In my mind, mm. they're all the same God. So therefore, I was okay with going to a mosque to pray. It was okay to going to a church to pray and, or going to a Hindu temple to pray. It didn't matter to me. This being right across the street versus the closest Hindu temple being in San Antonio, yeah, it just made it very convenient for me. Hmm. So I, I, and it wasn't completely, um, you know, going, growing up in a Catholic school, yeah, it wasn't totally oh, yeah. something right. alien to me. Um, You've been so, in church before. I'd, yeah, I'd been <laughs> in a school before. We had moral science classes. We didn't have catechism classes. The Catholics went to the catechism classes. Oh. We went, we had moral science classes. Mm. So I was familiar with some of the biblical ah, stories. Missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of the biblical stories and stuff like that. So um, I wasn't totally, it wasn't totally alien to me. But at the same time, it felt like I can go here and worship every week. Uh, and then maybe once a month, uh, once every couple of months, I can go to the temple down in San Antonio. Mm. And that was my, that was my plan of action. Um, and as I started going into worship, I would hear a message from the pastor and I would, I loved everything about the church in the sense I love the worship. I love the sermon. Um, I even, I even was a, uh, was one of the three wise men in a Christmas pageant that they put on. <laughs> and this is before I, I became a believer. Yeah, They'd so invited great. me to be a, be a, and I was, they would say, you're the most authentic wise man. Yeah, 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 yeah. He literally came from the East. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, Some typecasting, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's great yeah, casting. That's what you got to right? do. So I had, I had a really, I mean, really good time. And this is, um, I continued to work at Motorola and um, meeting different people. And that's how I came into contact also with the, um, the Christmas pageant. So started over there. Um, it was, that, that Christmas pageant was, was a fun time. We had a great time. But it's just very nice to feel welcomed into the church. They were very welcoming. And, um, so I got connected. I would go in on Wednesday nights and Sundays and everything was great for me about the church, except at the very end, the pastor would issue a call to, um, issue the call. And he would say, um, um, Jesus, is the, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No. And he said, no one comes to the father except through me. And I I would leave angry, mm -hmm. I would leave frustrated, irritated, and I, I'm not coming back again. Because uh, it would frustrate me because I thought it was very exclusive. How can, how can he say that, make that statement? He has no idea. How can he, there are 800 million Hindus hmm. out there who don't believe, Jesus is not the way, and true, way, the truth, and the life. How can he say that he is? And so that's how I would leave. But then I would come back again. I would come back Wednesday, I would come back Sunday. I mean, I think I was, you know, it's a funny thing. Sometimes I think I was more faithful going to church then than <laughs> afterwards. And you go once a week, right? Or you still, so, so you have Wednesday services canceled. So you only go once a week, yeah. that kind of a thing. But sometimes I feel like I was more, uh, and that this was, I look back and I feel like God was drawing me. Yeah. You know, uh, one step at a time drawing me. But that was that, that stage that I was going through. Through all of it, I still had the uh, uh, addictive behaviors, and it was, they were just getting worse and worse and worse. And there was just guilt and shame uh, just eating me up. And I really started to wonder about um, what my purpose in life was. What's going to happen when I die? And I know with Hinduism, there's a you there's a um, you come back. You have a cycle right. of cycle of life and death, and life and um, yeah, life and death and reincarnation. So I'm gonna come back, and I don't know what I'm gonna come back as. Uh, as a, am I gonna come back as a roach, a fly, a lizard? What am I gonna come back as? With the things that I've been involved in, things that I've been doing, um, where am I going to end up? Well, hold that thought. That's a good place to stop. By the way. 
We'll be right back. We do need to take a break, but we'll be right back with Velu Kadarville, who's here talking about what it takes to build gospel relationships with Hindus. Be right back. Hey, listeners, want to meet us? Well, we'd love to meet you. And if you're hungering for a deep, no-fluff missions conference, keep listening. The Radius Missiology Conference is happening June 23rd and 24th at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. The theme this year, Acts, the gospel proclaimed through the church. Hear from John Piper, Mark Dever, Brooks Buser, Chad Vegas, and more. Now, Scott and myself will be there in person, live, recording, interviewing speakers, and enjoying the fellowship. If you're like us, it's probably been a while since you've been to a conference, so get out of the house and come and enter our drawing to attend for free. That's right, free. Simply go to missionspodcast.com slash RMC for details, and we'll see you there this June at the Radius Missiology Conference. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child protection and abuse prevention. They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. And this June, attend the National Conference. Go to abuseprevention.org and register with ABWE21 as the promo code to receive 20% off your ticket. That's promo code ABWE21 to receive 20% off. And we're back with our new friend, Velu Kalarville, who is sharing with us what it takes to build redemptive relationships, relationships that can sustain the weight of truth and evangelism uh, from a Hindu perspective and uh, sharing his own story of life change. Go ahead and pick up where you left off. Where am I going to end up? And then the question, other question is, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? These were the questions that were on my mind as I was going through this and there was stimulating things in my mind because I could not see, I wasn't able to be successful in getting out of it on my own effort. So um, that was when I ended up turning, I met some, I met a believer at work and, uh, and I'll, I won't fast forward on that one. And I saw something different about her. The first time I saw her, I just thought, wow, she looks very different. I mean, meaning just something internal, something inside her was just, she had, she radiated a certain peace and a certain joy about her that, and my first thought was, I want that. Um, and we became good friends. And, um, uh, so we started, so that was, I guess, one of the things that happened. And Mm -hmm. then as I was going through these struggles, I just needed, I knew I needed help. So I ended up getting, uh, in fact, I think she may have given me and recommended a counselor to me. So I started going to that counselor and I think it was probably one of the best things I'd done because, um, she was the most loving and uh, grace-filled person that I'd met until then. Um, where she would, uh, it was just she accepted me where I was. And despite the things that I'd been involved in and doing, um, she accepted me and she loved me just where I was. And uh, I could gen- she genuinely cared for me. And um, I started to go to a, 12 step program. And, uh, then, you know, that's that when I went there, then more questions started to come up. Hmm. Uh, I was, uh, it was no problem. The first step was no problem for me to accept my life had was unmanaged, had become unmanageable and out of control yet. Yeah, no problem. Yes, I know it has been, has become, but then when I had to turn over my life to a higher power, I didn't know who to turn it over to. 
And I, I felt like I've been turning my life over. I've been going and praying to Hindu gods, going to Hindu temples, praying and asking them to take this away from me. But nothing's ever happened. Who is this higher power? I don't want to spend time turning it over to another God and that, and then nothing happens and it's all for naught. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a struggle that I was having. So while these questions about purpose in life and where do I go from here and what happens when I die, this was also happening at the same time. Hmm. Um, so once, so all these things are converging Yeah. and I'm going to church, I'm hearing the message, still putting thoughts in my mind. I'm wondering about my, my future and life after death. Um, and I'm going through counseling and questions and, and I was stalled at the second, at that second step or so where I didn't know who my higher power was. Uh, but fortunately, again, there were other believers who might you know, as I met them, I would find out they're Christians. It's amazing how many Christians came into my life at that time. And it wasn't something I went and sought out. I'd go to the doctor and I'd find out he's a Christian. I'd go to, uh, go somewhere else and I'd find out they're a Christian. I'd find out the counselor is a Christian. I mean, just everywhere I turned to, it seems like there were Christians. Yeah. Um, but I was, God was starting to use, I, I uh, would find out more about their life stories. And I'd see in their lives how God had changed them, had transformed them. That's one thing I would see. And then I would also look at, um, at through books. People would give me uh, books. C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity was a, um, was a big uh, game changer for me. Evidence that Demands a Verdict um, by uh, Josh McDowell. And then Death of a Guru by Rabbi Maharaj. And was another huge um, uh, turning point, just eye-opening books. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, um, every religion has a hint of the truth. And, uh, but where, you know, it's, it's for a Christian, it's, it's okay to believe, and it's, it's right to believe that, where there's a difference between other religions and Christianity, Christianity is right and mm-hmm. the others are wrong. But one thing we ought to believe is that every religion has a hint of the truth. That was a, a big turning point for me. Because you already knew there was some similarity right. on some level right. between, but that accounted for that then. Yes. Yes. That accounted for it and, and validated it because that was a struggle for me. I couldn't, I was struggling to reconcile how I could be completely wrong. Right. Totally, completely wrong. And I felt like my entire life until then would, was invalid because hmm. everything was wrong and there was no truth at all in it. And how could this, you know, going and praying, praying to God and all that, just seeking him out. I know people sincerely seek him. And how, how can all that be completely wrong? Um, and so that was a, but when, when C.S. I read C.S. Lewis mentioned that all of a sudden I felt like, okay, I'm okay with that. I could be, I could be wrong and totally off on a different path, but at least there's some truth in it, mm. a hint of the truth in it. And that I could somehow accept. And I was able to get past that stumbling block, that mm. roadblock. So, um, and I heard, I heard testimonies from other believers about how their lives had changed. I uh, was reading these books. I could not want to read the Bible. For some reason, I, I could not get myself to read the Bible. I, I said to myself, I won't read the Bible until I know it is true. Until it's true, it's, it's a valid document. It's a truthful document. So I think uh, evidence that demands a verdict was very key in helping me to see about prophecies and that they weren't written after things happened, but they were, there were dates and how, how the Bible was recorded, how the Bible was, has been transmitted along the, over the centuries to read all that. And when prophecies were written in looking at all that, it helped me start. I started to get, feel more comfortable about Mm -hmm. that. And then when it came down to looking at Jesus's life and the life he lived, the death he died, and the resurrection and the testimonies and the witnesses, um, all of that served to, for me to help me realize that all the evidence points to, I still wasn't sure he was the truth. Mm. I had asked for a sign from God. I said, uh, I prayed, Lord, you know, send down a drop of flower from the sky, something that will mm. 
a miracle or some sign in front of me that I could say, wow, you are God. But that never came. Um, but he started to unravel, you know, open up the blinders and take off the blinders mm. and uh, slowly started to see little things at a time. And finally, I realized that all the truth, uh, all, all that, all the evidence points to Jesus. That was the sign. True. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, yeah. The sign already came 2000 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was a sign. And he, he showed, he revealed that to me, removed the blinders and I was able to finally see it. And then I, I just, I just prayed. And uh, in fact, I prayed with my counselor. Hmm. I was at the counselor's oh, office cool. and I uh, prayed. I asked her to, I wanted her to be there for that. And uh, Christian counselors Christian be encouraged. Counselor. Your yes. work is not in vain. Yeah. <laughs> Talking yeah. to you, dad, you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, she, um, and the ones that, Oh, I prayed to, I prayed and I just reached out to God. I said, Lord, I, I don't know if you're truly there, but I'm, I believe you're there. So I'm going to pray to you. And I, please hold on to me, grab on to me. And it, the image that flashed through my mind was me stepping off a cliff hoping and praying that there was going to be a rock under the foot, under my foot mm. when I, when I stepped on, when I put my foot out into, mm. you know, no, it went into an empty space. Yeah. Wow. And uh, there was a rock. There was a rock of um, God being the rock yeah. and uh, the foundation. But I, I um, put my foot out and then the sign came afterwards. The, the addiction that I was struggling with, the temptation that, and that, that I was succumbing to, um, all of a sudden the power of that was broken. Mm. So my, my sign, my miracle came not before. He did not give that to me before. Uh, and after, in his wisdom, after. his infinite wisdom, yeah. he didn't give it to me before, but he gave it to me afterwards. And yeah. for good reason. He knows what's best. Doesn't he? Yes. And I think if he had given it to me earlier, I would have dismissed it. I would have found a way sure. to say, oh, yeah, okay, that's nice. Give me another one. Kind of yeah. like the, like our, like forefathers, you know, the ones in, in the New Testament did, right? right? Yeah. yeah. They never believed. But here, um, he gave me the sign of, of breaking the power of sin and dropping the chains so that I could actually say no to sin and keep moving forward. You had mentioned another time we had talked about one of the last hurdles for you, which was something kind of surprising to those of us, you know, growing up in America was that, you know, how it would affect your family back in India. Can you talk a little bit about that last hurdle? Absolutely. Um, and cause I think that might be interesting to our listeners. Absolutely. Um, my, first of all, there was, because you're so interconnected socially and culturally family is such an integral part and you're so connected to the, to the family and the relatives, every um, your, your mom's sister is your mom, your, um, you know, in a way your big mom, mm -hmm. you, we actually, the name, we, we call them Periyama and Periyapa and, huh. and, uh, Siti and Sitapa. That means, uh, you know, uh, literally means big dad and small dad for your dad's younger brother, dad's <laughs> older brother becomes your wow. big dad, small, oh, younger dad. Yeah. So it's literally very all your relatives are sort of very close family. And, um, uh, so there's all intertwined, all social functions, there's family involved and it's all intertwined and religion always comes a part of it. There's always worship. There's always prayer, um, offerings, things like that. So it's always a lot of it's centered around various fest religious festivals. So, um, and all my friends were, were Hindu here and a lot of them were Hindu. I shouldn't say all my friends, but a lot of them were Hindu. So I had a lot of fears and concerns about what was going to happen to all those relationships. And I'd heard stories about families being um, uh, disowning you. And uh, I'd read about those as well. So I had fears and concerns about those and what was going to happen. And not only that, I have one sister who was seven years younger to me. I was real concerned about her future because, again, the family is so inter interconnected. And when um, a family is looking for a uh, uh, a suitable marriage, they will they will check on they'll check on backgrounds. the The bridegroom's family will, uh, or a, a boy's family, uh, if they're looking for a daughter-in-law, they will check on the family to see you know they'll 
what's their brother doing? What's their family, other family members doing? What is the parent, what do their parents do? They'll check on the character, what they're, what they're involved in, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it's background, it's like a background <laughs> check, right? Yeah. Um, so that's what would happen. And I, my concern was how's my, uh, I'm contemplating this and believing in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But how is that going to impact her future? How is it going to change, the, change and impact the future of my parents? And especially how is it going to affect her and her prospects of marriage? What's it going to do to her? So that part was um, huge for me. It was, it was almost like the last stumbling block. Hmm. Did uh, it affect her? Pardon me? Did it affect her? No, that's a funny story. So, uh, But... I'll get to that in just yeah, a second. Okay. But what happened, I was so um, fearful. I finally had to, but then I had to realize it's not, it's not me. It's God. If God is who he said, he says yeah. he is, then he'll take care of it. Right. I just need to do the right thing. I was convicted that I just need to do the right thing. And then whatever happens, happens, and he'll take care of it, whatever it is. And the miracle is he did take care of it. She ended up, <laughs> so I, I became a believer, and then she ended up, she eventually ended up marrying a German, a German, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it never affected her marriage prospects. Right. Because she ended up marrying somebody outside of the culture as well. So, and I say as well, because I ended up marrying this, this girl whom I met at work, who I saw just a peace and joy in her. Um, she's the one I eventually ended up marrying. I saw that coming a mile away, but <laughs> didn't want to spoil it for the audience. <laughs> so it was about... A year after I became a believer. Yeah. So after I became a believer, I thought maybe she's, maybe God put her in my life just for this phase. I don't know if she's, she's the one who's supposed to, um, that I'm supposed to marry. And so I prayed and I, I waited for a while and then I realized, yes, she's the one. So then I proposed to her a year afterwards, a year after I became a believer. And then we got married another six months later. Beautiful. So, yeah. So, and she's um, born raised, as you mentioned already, born and raised here in Austin, was born and raised in Austin, Texas. Ended up marrying, um, uh, and she's of Hispanic descent and she's got a strong church uh, background. And so um, uh, I just ended up marrying her and it was, it's been great. We have four kids, four beautiful kids, uh, 18, 16, 14, and 12. Wow. <laughs> and I, uh, um, God's continued to transform me, change me. You know, he, he never wants to leave us where we are. He, uh, I started studying the Bible right away. Until then, I never opened, the, I, I did not go and open the page of a Bible. Yeah. Soon after I became a believer, a week later, or maybe even right after that, I just sensed this, this thirst for wanting to read his word, study his word. Hey, I want to go read the Bible. I need to go read the Bible. And uh, this is another miracle. Four years prior to that, a guy at work had told me, had invited me to Bible study fellowship. And I said, no, I'm not interested in going. I'm in a different city altogether at that point when I become a believer. I'm in Boise, Idaho. Right after I become a believer, the thought comes to my mind. God brings a thought to my mind about Bible study fellowship. Remember this guy invited you to Bible study fellowship? You need Mm. to. And I go look for Bible study fellowship. At that time, we didn't have the internet was not that great. So this is back in uh, 97. Okay. Um, So I had to go look at a phone book. Yellow Pages, go look for Bible Study Fellowship, could not find it. Called the local bookstore in Boise, Idaho, a Christian bookstore. And I asked them, do you know if there's a Bible Study Fellowship or something here? And the, uh, the lady who picked it up says, wow, my, I can't remember the exact relation, my uh, friend's husband is the substitute teaching leader at the Boise, Idaho Bible study fellowship, you know, chapter, and they meet on this day and this day. And I was like, wow, how can that, you know, how did that happen? Yeah. Right. So it was an awesome thing that God put me in there. And I ended up going there, learning the word of God, studying the word of God and continuing to grow. And he's changed me both in my, you know, um, my outlook, my sense of knowing I have a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose in my life. Mm -hmm. I I feel like God's directed me. I, I know what happens to me, obviously, after I die. So I, I have that peace um, and uh, just a wonderful family continue to grow in my church, responsibilities at church. I teach Sunday school and uh, taking seminary classes at Southwestern. Taking seminary classes at Southwestern. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Swibbits. Wow. 
Yes, two bits. Yeah. So uh, it's just been um, it's just been beautiful how God's been. I mean, has done His work, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's all to His glory. So I, um, I can't believe that you know brought me from ten thousand miles away, brought me here, and then He just changes my life. Mm. And, uh, and I still, to this day, I think being in India and, and, uh, amidst family and other members, it would have been, it would have been, it's hard to come to faith if somebody's in that, in the culture, entrenched in the culture. And I feel like in a way, I feel like bring, bring me here and then, uh, um, exposing me more to himself. And it was, I feel like sometimes it was easier for me from that perspective. Yeah. Um, so my heart just continues to go out to those who are, who are there. And I just, it's amazing how they come to faith because there's a lot of pressure. And I, I faced pressure, but I know that there's a lot more pressure that I would face if I were in the culture right there in India. And, and that does lead us to some things that we can talk about. So you're here working on a training uh, material curriculum for how do I build a redemptive relationship and bring Christ to my, my Hindu neighbor, my Indian neighbor. Um, and first of all, it fills you with hope knowing that, yeah, somebody can come to Christ out of that background. Amen. Yeah, it is possible. Amen. And there's some needs, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to lean on our, our, our listeners. Uh, you know, um, if you go to abwe.org and, and, Go to the give section. There is a giving option for every ethnic Hindu seminar. It takes about $20,000 to put together the seminar, which is like a six hour seminar done at local churches to help people like, uh, you know, like, like me, like you um, learn about how to build relationships. What is the, what are some of the fears and anxieties about someone coming to Christ? What are the belief systems and how do I, how do you help equip a, a typical church person in American pews to start building relationships that lead to the gospel um, for people uh, like Velu to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So one, I want you to, you know, let us know if you're interested at some point hosting a seminar, yeah. maybe it'll be Velu and I coming and helping to do that. Um, but also we have, we have some needs as far as giving goes. And if you'd like to give and contribute to help and get that word out and like, the seminar, like the, the training we're doing, some of us can cover our own ways, but there's parts of the team that, that need help getting out here the printing of the materials, which we do high quality uh, materials. Uh, there's a lot of expenses. So, and the, and the goal of the heart, mind, soul materials is not to be, you know, a crash course on Hinduism. No, it's to get you at really what we talked about today, Vela, which is what would a Hindu really not just believe in their head, but value what, right. what are, what is the heart, right? What is the state of the heart? What are, what are the emotions? What is that composition of that person? What do they really care about? At the end of the day, because that's where the relationship is going to be built, not right. just on this abstract intellectual um, apologetic level, as important as as that can be. And even in your own story uh, as well. Yeah, we'll we'll include a link to that in the show notes. And one, one thing that I would love to state on that is one thing that was really important or critical for me was the relationships, mm. was the genuine relationships that believers had with me. I could sense their their genuine love and care and compassion for me as a person. I wasn't a project. I wasn't, um, unfortunately I did encounter some who looked at me as a project, but, sure. um, and I had to work through those. God had to yeah. kind of help me get past those and focus on him, not on the, on flawed man, but more on him. But there were others who several came along who were just, uh, they weren't perfect. They had their own issues, but they, they had genuine, they loved me genuinely right where I was. Hindu addiction, um, all these things, all this junk with all this junk around me, they loved me exactly where I was, right where I was. And I knew that their love would stay the same. And it it was kind of unconditional. It wasn't conditional on whether I became a believer or not. Mm. It was just where I'm at. Even if I decided had decided and I made a choice to stay a Hindu, I felt like they would continue to love me just the way I was. And they cared about me as a person. And um, that was absolutely pivotal for me to know that 
there are people who love me unconditionally. Mm. Um, that uh, I wasn't just a, I wasn't a number to mm. them. I was more. They really wanted me to have a relationship with Jesus. Scott, as we kind of wind down, what's been the biggest takeaway for you as a learning process, doing your demon project through this, being a part of building the heart, mind, soul curriculum and, and sessions for Hinduism? What's what's been the biggest eye opener for you? You know, I, I started out going like headlong into just like learning everything about karma and dharma and you know, trying to read through some of the Vedas and trying to read the Bhagavad Gita and, you know, and learning about Indian history and all these things only to kind of come to the conclusion that um, I really need to learn about how to, what does friendship look like? What does hospitality look like? How mm. do I become, how, how do I show love in a way that can be understood and appreciated by my neighbors, you know? And, uh, and that's been the biggest takeaway. That's kind of the thing that I'm, I'm at the biggest loss about and why I'm so thankful to have, you know, Christian brothers like Velu and even other Indian believers uh, around me that could help me navigate uh, some of those things that I just, you don't know what you don't know if you're not born and raised in a specific culture. And uh, I'm excited about continuing to go deeper into those areas because I've got three Hindu families on my, in my cul-de-sac, mm-hmm. you know, in my cul-de-sac. Um, I've got at least one right next to me that I know of. Right. And so I'm very excited about taking some of these things and learning you know, how to better build relationships with my neighbors. So, Mm. so no longer are you going to invite your neighbors to a steak grill out? No, no, (laughs) I will not. (laughs) Maybe the impossible burger. You can have everybody over for impossible. I tell you what, hosting has become very unique in up for us in California. Like I got to think through, well, how many Muslims are coming over? How many Hindus are coming over? Any (laughs) other, any Buddhists in the the group? And and often I've had all of those people in my home, especially with my kids, friends and having to to just go with the, um, the Californian staple avocado toast and, and you'll be There's fine. There's a reason why smart Christians <laughs> like vegetarian food sometimes. It's a crowd pleaser. Velu, thank you for sharing your story and we will include links for those of you that want to learn more about every ethne, the heart, mind, soul ministry and yeah. the new Hindu outreach that's beginning through that. And uh, thank you so much for listening today. Please share this show. We hope you act on it and pray and all those sorts of things, but also share with a friend that you believe will be benefited and blessed by it. And before you go, make sure you leave us a five-star review and a positive rating in your app store of choice. You can get more content at missionspodcast.com every Sunday night at 7 p.m. And thank you for listening this week and we'll see you next week.